This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect. This episode is presented by the Azoya Group, a digital commerce enabler that partners with global beauty brands and retailers to expand their business to China. Hello, my favorite word. I'm Craig Dubitsky, the friendly founder of Hello. To me, it's a matter of being thoughtful about everything. Culture, as it relates to building a brand and a business, has become one of these ubiquitous talking points, like disruption and community, that everyone feels the need to check off. I'm Kelly Kovac, founder of Beauty Matter. Culture, disruption, and community take commitment. And more than that, they take real work. But when done right, the result is dynamic brands that stand for more than the products they sell. Sure, all of these things can be crafted in strategy sessions, but the secret sauce is very often a larger-than-life dynamic founder. Craig Dubitsky, the founder of Hello and Colgate Chief Innovation Strategist, is that guy. Identifying white space and cracking open the opportunity by building brands that defy convention and redefine categories. Craig is a visionary, a brilliant marketer, and one of the most positive, generous people I know. So Craig, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I have to say I was so excited that you said yes because I'm such a fan of the work that you do. Oh, thank you. And I also found it incredibly difficult to prepare for because there are so many sort of things that I wanted to discuss. <laughs> so I thought, you know what? We're just going to like go at it and see where the yeah. conversation takes us. I love that. Let's go. I'm ready. You know, and <laughs> I <laughs> So, you know, I think that there's so many brands that you've touched. They may have touched me first. Well, they may have touched you. you I think brands often do that. They kind of find you. Yeah. But you were involved in Method early on. Mm -hmm. You're a co-founder of EOS. And now, hello. And I think that, you know, when when I think of you or when I run into you sort of in the industry, you're always sort of the most optimistic person in the room. And you you are sort of the embodiment of whatever brand you're sort of touching at that moment, which I think is, it's amazing because it shows the power of conviction of sort of what you're doing. Well, thank you. Um, Positivity and optimism, I'm very fortunate to somehow have this, uh, this wild clock ticking inside of me that isn't keeping time. It's just keeping track of how much positivity can can be put out there in the world. And uh, I'm basically the luckiest person ever. So I appreciate all my luck. And I think it maintains itself because I keep trying to put more positive well, stuff out there. Well, you also share it. Well, I, I try. Yeah. I'm trying. I'm trying. I feel, again, I feel really lucky. And I think the way I, I'm able to maintain the luck over a long period is by uh, just keep putting positive stuff out. And I feel like the more of that that goes out into the world, uh, the more you're going to get back. I 100% agree. I kind of wanted to approach this um, from you've created all of these great brands. And I think the the most amazing thing to me is they're really transformational brands. They're not even – they're disruptive, but they're – 
almost more than that. Like you go head to head with like some of the biggest companies <laughs> in the world <laughs> in one of the most difficult channels to navigate. And so, you know, in kind of, I'm trying to, I would love to understand sort of the thought process. And I guess we can use hello because it's, you know, what you're doing sure. right now. What was that moment where you're like, okay, I need to do oral care differently? Um, <laughs> because uh, that's not something that people sort of sure, ponder. <laughs> sure. If I, if, I, if I go back, and it's a nice moment of self-reflection for me, so thank you for for giving me that um, and this great question. Uh, I think I owe a lot, as do most people, to their parents. My, my mother in particular instilled in me this, this uh, sense that I could try anything. So I think I grew up with this notion that uh, there's no reason to be scared of anything. And for me, I have no fear of failure, just a fear of not trying. Because if I don't try, I've already failed. Right. So if people are listening to this, I want to share that with them. If you don't try, you've already failed. So you got to go for stuff. And regret is a horrible, horrible thing. You just don't want to have any regrets. Funny thing, on my way in today, mm -hmm. this afternoon to come see you, I got a call from a fellow who I'd met about five years ago, six years ago, and I hadn't spoken with him since. And he uh, he's a adjunct professor at a university now, and he just wanted to catch up. And he said, you know, I remember six years ago, you said this thing, and it was this nugget that really stuck with me. And I was blown away that this person, who's a very accomplished person, remembered anything I had to say, let alone this thing. And he said, you know, uh, you made a comment that when a lot of people told you, no, you couldn't do something, it kind of egged you on. And that's another thing about optimists. Um, you know, a lot of people have told me, no, you can't do something. And I always felt they were much more accomplished and much smarter than I was. And I looked at that as a go signal. Like, yay, this really brilliant person just told me they're not going to compete with me. They didn't just tell me no. They, yeah, they just told me they're not going to compete. So I'd go for it. And uh, and I, I give all that as like a little bit of a backdrop because you mm -hmm. asked about how Hello got started. But I think if I go like deep, 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 yeah. it's because my mom was like, of course you could do it. Like, why can't you do it? So the genesis of Hello actually the birth of this idea happened mm -hmm. not very far from where we're sitting. Really? Which is really amazing. Yeah, when I was on my way here, I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> like two blocks from here, there was a certain large national chain drugstore. Yes. And I happened to walk into this drugstore and I'm hyper visual. I'm just always looking around, taking things in visually. Mm -hmm. And I didn't go in there with the intent of looking for a category in need of some love, but Again, like sometimes you have an idea for a brand, sometimes yeah. the idea for a brand has you. And in this case, it had me walking by the oral care set. And I just couldn't help but look at all these pictures of extracted teeth I had seen on the boxes. Like some had holograms of extracted teeth. <laughs> they were teeth. And they were teeth with their roots hanging out, you know, like their uh -huh. little dangling roots. And it really jumped out at me. And basically, I don't know if this is like a G-rated or PG-rated mm -hmm. podcast, but... Uh, my internal monologue said, what the fuck? This is the most <laughs> fucked up thing I've ever seen. Like, what the fuck? Why are they extracted teeth? Like, that's the last thing I ever want to see. I know they're telling but me there's something good. it had never occurred to you. No. Sort of like, I mean, because... I hate the dentist. You know, yeah. I was like a normal guy hating the dentist. Now, I, now many, I love uh, the dentist. How many other times have you walked down sort of an aisle of toothpaste without Countless. paying any attention? Countless times. Yeah. And for some reason, my spidey senses tingled. 
and there was like this this giant shelf set mm -hmm. filled with extracted teeth. So I just thought that's really crazy. Isn't that kind of the last thing I want to see? Aren't they trying to tell me that if I use this stuff, I get to keep my teeth? Like, <laughs> why are they showing me these like dead soldiers? Mm -hmm. Like these, you know, it's just weird. So I stopped and I started comparing the teeth because some had holograms of teeth oh and some God, had little beautiful, like highly stylized uh -huh. teeth. I mean, as teeth go, we all wish our teeth looked this good. Well, it is. They were beautiful. I mean, it was one of those categories where it was like a war. Right? Oh my God. A war for shelf space, a war for messaging, everything. Product proliferation. Right. So, everything. So, there were all these, like, you know, speaking of war, like, mm -hmm. there were all these casualties of war, <laughs> which were, in this case, highly stylized teeth. <laughs> and I looked at the ingredients. I just started picking up product, and I'm not a chemist, but you didn't have to be a chemist to realize. And this was in 19, or sorry, 2012. Uh, 2011. No, uh, earlier. earlier. Like, er, yeah, earlier 2000s, I think, is when this first hit me. Mm -hmm. I'm so bad with dates. I'm like a dog. Like you close well, the door, you open you... the door, and it's like I haven't seen you in you know eight years. It's like no, you just open and close the door, puppy. Like what's going on? But the but hello sort of launched in two thousand twelve, yes, yes, so it was yes. like pre that. Yes, so a couple of years before that, I yeah. had this sort of um, extracted tooth epiphany, <laughs> and um and looking at these ingredients, I shuddered. I'm like, wait a minute, saccharin? Like didn't that get vanquished from diet mm -hmm. sodas like decades ago? Why is that in my toothpaste and? alcohol why is there alcohol in this stuff and why are there these artificial flavors and why are there artificial dyes so there was all the ingredient questions i had but then to your point i had a bigger question which was why is everything in this category talking about war everything right. was aggressive and to me driven by fear and shame and i know this conversation we're having right now has now gone on for like a minute or two That's or three <laughs> but believe it or not all this happened in like a picosecond in my brain at one mm -hmm. time and i thought extracted teeth bad ingredients really scary and all the positioning of the categories seemed to be driven by fear and shame like if you weren't whitening you were frightening mm -hmm. and you weren't going to get paid and you weren't going to get laid like the job interview was going to go poorly the good night kiss at the end of the day it wasn't going to happen mm -hmm. for you the dentist was going to put the hurt on you Everything was, to me, benefit-driven to this extent that it was going to keep you getting kissed and getting a good mm -hmm. you know, outcome from a job interview and escaping the dentist chair without any extracted teeth involved. And that, to me, was really – let's just go with a, a nice safe word. It was disturbing. So I, then what did you – did you just feel compelled? Yes. Like there's an opportunity I here? literally couldn't stop thinking about yeah. it. And having had history with Method in particular and EOS – you know, I, I I really thought there was this opportunity to turn this category that had really been commoditized into something very different. And the other thing was really striking to me was that it seemed to be to go with the war theme again. Mm -hmm. It was like the cola wars. There yes, was, you know, absolutely. a red brand and a blue brand. And, you know, there was Coke and Pepsi. Well, there was Crest and Colgate. And mm -hmm. yes, there's always been other brands in the middle. Sensodyne's a wonderful brand, right? But the shelf seemed to be dominated by these two players and both of the brands started with a C. I thought that was really weird. I'm obsessed with things like that. I'm I, like, Oh, I know because you're very much sort of like words matter. Oh my God. Words yeah. totally matter. And uh, years ago I got asked to speak to a large paper goods company and I, I made fun of, Oh, I mean, I'll tell you who it is. Mm -hmm. There are, there are also, I'm going to sound, untoward. I don't mean to. They're a wonderful company and they mm -hmm. make really wonderful products. And they asked me to come down with no agenda other than to kind of like just shake it up, mm -hmm. which 
is a gift, right? <laughs> if someone tells yes. you, just come down and just be a little crazy and make fun of our brands. I'm like, you're kidding me. It's like being able to stand up about people's brands. <laughs> I'm like, this is a this is a treat. So I made fun of uh, the brawny man because, uh-huh. you know, I, I just said it was Georgia Pacific, right? Mm-hmm. So I was making a little fun of the brawny man because we could talk about, you know, male grooming and beards and mm-hmm. flannel shirts. And I certainly like check shirts mm-hmm. and I don't like to shave. So, you know, I can certainly appreciate various aspects of the brawny man. But I said brawny and bounty shit they even start and end with the same friggin' consonants like you couldn't have mixed it up a little bit more like you know crest and colgate like you couldn't go a little Mm -hmm. further you couldn't choose another letter to start the brand with but anyway colgate's been around for you know 200 plus years so they i think had the jump on crest but in any event i'm getting way off track so i'm in the store extracted Mm -hmm. teeth lots of red and blue and a lot of scary stuff around, you know, benefit driven mm-hmm. consumer insights. And I'm, I'm, I'm being facetious. So and my eyes are rolling <laughs> and your eyes are rolling for those of you listening right now. And you're so, like, I'm going to throw those consumer insights out the window. Well, I'm like, there's a basic consumer insight, which is extracted teeth. Don't want to see them. <laughs> like, how about that? We're like, there's, there is sort of this time where, cause I am not a fan of focus groups, consumer insights. Yay. I'm just like, Okay, you really are just like this is sort of the CYA moment where you want to keep your job. And like, when does common sense come into this equation? (laughs) That's a great question. I think what happens is entrepreneurs have a moment where they go, wait a minute, this just seems really whacked. Like, why is it like this? And people have said before, oh, uh, Craig, you're a disruptor, you're a challenger. And I, just sort of kind of roll my eyes a little bit. Um, I like to say we're a questioner or I'm a questioner. I want people to question why it took so long for someone to take the extracted tooth <laughs> off the box. I wanted someone to question why this stuff didn't taste great if it goes in your mouth before. Like anything that goes in your mouth, it should taste amazing. Right. Full stop. And if it's going in your mouth, it's going in your body. And therefore, it should be as natural as possible. Well, that was the crazy thing to me. So, I mean, when you launched, all of a sudden I was like, oh, I need to look at oral care because Craig has launched a brand. There's something here. Oh, and the first you. thing I was just like, I I did the same thing. Aside from the like the packaging, I knew sort of, it, I'm like, oh my God, of course, this makes so much sense. But I started looking at the ingredients. And then I was looking at the warnings oh of God. like call the poison control center. And I think at that moment, I actually, I was, I was working with a dentist and I was just like, you know, you need to pay attention to this. You're a doctor. Like, I really think the next ca- category that's going to be disrupted is oral care. And this was sort of around when you launched. Yeah. I'm like, there's something happening here. And you know when you feel like you're the canary in the coal mine? And people <laughs> look at you like you have 10 heads. All the time. The same thing when you're like, <laughs> Amazon, you know that thing that millions of people go to? You probably want to pay attention to it. Right? It's a thing? Like you're getting boxes sent to your house every day and you're wondering if this is going to work or not? Yeah. And so, and I was just like, you're, you know, how can you have the rest of the the beauty industry? Because oral care is sort of an extension of Mm -hmm. beauty. But like, how can you be cleaning up everything else and putting something toxic in your mouth? Well, again, I think it was a forgotten 
uh, maybe forgotten isn't the right word, you know, but there are a lot of words that are coming to mind. Yeah. And it was just sort of overlooked or people were on autopilot or they just used whatever their dental professional gave them. And typically it's not that those products weren't good. It's just that the dental professional was busy being a dental professional and they were given, you know, a bunch of product to hand out to people and that was fine. But we were evolved and we want more and we don't want to just take what someone hands to us. Um, we want to understand the provenance. Like, where did this come from? Who are the people behind this? Why did they decide to do this? And part of what I found really interesting about oral care was it was this anonymous category. Mm-hmm. Like, it, there weren't it, any celebrity endorsements. Not so much. Or even if there were, um, there were the, just these handful of yeah. companies that kind of controlled everything. And if you went to their website, there were no pictures of the people at the company. It was like paid actors. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was really kind of interesting. And how do we humanize it? Because oral health and whole body health are truly inextricably linked. But yet, if you looked at the category or the products you were using, they didn't feel linked to anything. Like it just felt really kind of devoid of any personality. And I like to think we can make personal care personal again and give it a little personality and give it some zhuzh and Mm -hmm. make it fun. And of course, make it as natural as we can make it. But what's really important is it has to be really effective. So because if we made, let's just say we decided to make shampoo tomorrow. And by the way, I think we could make fabulous shampoo. But, you know, it's kind of a yucky day outside. I'm looking out our window and Mm -hmm. it's a little like rainy and humid. It's kind of warm for New York City in February. So let's say, uh, you know, used Hello Shampoo, our our fictional shampoo. And he said, well, it's humid out. I'm having a bad hair day. But tomorrow I'm going to, you know, L.A. And I'll have a great hair day tomorrow. So no big deal. I can suffer through my one New York City rainy humid Are you day. giving us a cue to sort of the no. where hello is going to personal no. care domination? Well, 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 we'll get there. We'll definitely okay. get there. But, but my point is if we made the shampoo, you'd be like, well, you know, no problem. Tomorrow I'm going to have a better hair day. It's no big deal. Yeah. I still like that shampoo. It smells good. It lathers nicely. You know, my hair generally looks pretty good, but it's humid nasty. Okay. Tomorrow I'll have a better hair day. If you had a bad tooth day today... You're not getting on a plane and saying, tomorrow I'm going to have a better tooth day. You're in big trouble. So there's more at risk. There was more at risk Mm -hmm. with oral care because it's a wellness product. So, you know, if I told you we were getting rid of uh, fine lines and wrinkles and our anti-rugosity measurements were fabulous, you know, maybe it takes a little longer to get that little crow's Mm -hmm. foot that you don't care for out of your, you know, your, your skin. But it's very different with oral care. Like there's kind of no room for error. So the efficacy was always, always, always the top priority. And I think with a lot of startups, I find that they're just sort of like, Oh, we have a brand, we have a proposition. We'll figure it out later. Yeah. And for us, it was like, no, we can't screw around. So making sure that the efficacy was there and that our product, our ingredient sourcing, uh, the product had to be epic and the ingredient sourcing had to be, really, really thoughtful. So did you start with sort of the the formulation and mm-hmm. the product first? That's yes, started? yes. So there was this big moment, this aha moment that everything was kind of yucky and just not delicious and certainly mm-hmm. not fun. And the next thing was, okay, how do we make a formula that's really going to work and go the distance, like uh, compete in a serious way with the sort of the, the benchmarks mm-hmm. for the category. So the first person I started working with was our formulator, who's mm-hmm. still our formulator. Uh-huh. Hi, Connie, if you're listening. Um, <laughs> yeah, she's she's amazing. Our whole team is really like 
just amazing. So yeah, I'd met Connie early on and uh, I was pretty prescriptive even as a non-chemist about mm -hmm. what I thought could or should be or not be in the product. And she's like, yep, I can make that. So the first thing was to, you know, have this idea. And then the next thing was make a formulation that was really amazing, like mm -hmm. a real superlative formula. And I think in parallel to that was trademarking the word hello all over the world. Was that difficult? Um, I don't want to say it was difficult, but it certainly, you know, was a challenge. I mean, yeah. I was very fortunate to know some amazing uh, trademark attorneys who could figure out how to do it. sometimes you just get the wrong evaluator. It can happen. Um, <laughs> it happened to it, us. Yeah, it can happen. It can happen. Um, we were very fortunate yeah. and we worked really hard and the, again, great counsel. Yeah. Um, and it was amazing. It wasn't, you know, it just wasn't taken. I, I think part of the magic was coming up with a word that, you know, it, uh, there are a lot of words. Mm -hmm. um, something becomes a brand, I think, instead of a word when somebody actually falls in love with it, yeah. where you can ascribe some other type of emotion to a word, then it starts to become something special. How long did it take you to sort of land on hello? Oh, it was uh, immediate that that immediate. was the name. Yeah. Because everything seemed unfriendly. So right. the word I kept focusing on was, God, this stuff is so unfriendly. It's like this whole thing is scary and mm -hmm. unfriendly. And I thought, well, what's the friendliest word I could think of? And it's hello. And I also thought all the brands talk about killing and fighting things mm -hmm. in your mouth. I just don't want to kill or fight with you when I say hello. Like it was literally mm -hmm. just that simple. And I think people tend to complicate things quite a bit. It's human nature. Like, yeah. oh, it can't be that simple. It's hard to do simple. It's really hard to do simple. Well, I think I think you also have to. And when something that that sort of strikes me is that you know you trust your gut. I think there's you know there are a lot of traditionally trained marketers and branders, and then there are people who just kind of have a knack for it, and you just yeah. like you kind of know that it's right. I think as trite as it sounds for people that aren't in love or haven't been in love. It's like, you know, when you know, yep. and if you've been on that side, you, you know exactly what yep. that, what that feels like. And I think it's the same thing. Yeah, it, It's just like, you know, you have this internal sense and sensibility and when something goes off for you and you're like, yep, this, yes. And, and I think, when you feel it really strongly, even if people tell you no, or there are these seemingly insurmountable odds, when you know it as deeply as you know it, when you, you know, like strike mm -hmm. this uh, magical chord, nothing's going to stop you. I mean, it's just like, nope, you don't hear it the same way I do, but I'm hearing it and well, think, I'm going to play this song for you until you hear it too. Well, I also <laughs> think that that, I think, you know, the categories that you've always that you've sort of tackled historically, there are incumbent leaders with yes. way more money. Yes. How long did it take people to see your vision? Because I think I have a, a you know, I, I remember when it was first on the shelf and I was uh -huh. thinking, I wonder how hard it was to sort of get people to sort of place that first order. Well, And, you know, and sort of you just strike me as someone who you just keep saying it and eventually they're going to believe. Well, so, so here we are now and it's, you know, 2020 yep. and it's February 2020 and a lot's happened. But if I go back to when this thing started, this stuff it is not a smooth ride. No. And <laughs> to say I made some mistakes, 
I don't know how much time we have, but I'm happy to go through many of the mistakes because you learn so much from the mistakes. Well, and I also, I think it's important because, you know, what I, what I see now is there's amazing things happening sort of in the food, drug, and mass channels. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of startups get wooed by a big retailer that's going to take them on and they don't know what they're getting themselves into. It's very, uh, so... Yes. Starstruck. <laughs> yes. It's very intoxicating. But I'll tell you, when we started, the first meetings I had, I had, because I'm admittedly a little uh, obsessive, which is a nice word for, uh, or maybe not a nice word. The nice word is passionate. Yes. I'm really passionate. But truthfully, I'm I'm just wildly obsessive about design and brand and, and how things make you feel. And I would go into meetings and I'd have like a coffee table book. Mm-hmm. of what the future could look like of oral care. And I had worked with this amazing design group at BMW, and I had this really cool like visual presentation mm-hmm. that like, y- unless you were blind, you wouldn't like, you just wouldn't get it. Right. Of course you would get it. It'd be like, you know, showing you this gorgeous thing. Like, here's what the set could look like. Here's what the future could look like. And we have it. And I would say, try it. And then I would talk about the brand and basically, I would tell people, literally, this is what I would say. I would say, you've seen your grandparents' teeth. Why would you use the same brand your grandparents <laughs> used? And that kind of would wake people up. Uh-huh. And then the other thing the other thing is, I would eat toothpaste, which I'm happy to do for you right now, if you like, <laughs> because it's a visceral kind of thing. But I would do it, and only with fluoride-free toothpaste. I'm about to do that if you guys, if you want to. This is the sound of a fresh box being opened up. Oh, so gingerly. And um, because, you know, I want to make sure it's a freshie for you. Of course. You know, I didn't tamper with anything. But yeah, I'd go into meetings and I'd be like, guess what? You're ingesting this stuff, whether you think you are or you aren't. Like if it goes in your mouth, it's going in your body. So this other stuff that's out there, you can't do this with it. And I know I just, you ready? I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) So for those of you listening, I don't know. I took down a pretty fair amount. That was a lot of toothpaste. Yeah. Um, and I would show them, like, look, notice the tube retains its shape because marriages break up over things like this. Like someone calls the other person an idiot for squeezing the wrong end of the tube. It is true. It's true. <laughs> so if nothing else, we're saving marriages. We're saving relationships because uh, we're friendly company. It's what we do. So anyway, I'd go to these meetings and I would say things like that. And I did a big hunk of fluoride-free toothpaste. And people would be like, that's insane. No one from company X, Y, or Z has ever mm-hmm. done that. And, and then I'd point things out. Like, in this case, this is a fluoride-free anti-plaque and whitening, but next to every ingredient tells you what it does. Nobody does that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And then I'd say, oh, yeah, in our boxes, they're FSC-certified paper, so we don't kill more trees. And we print them in America, and our tubes are made in America, and our products made in America, and it's vegan, and it's cruelty-free, and we don't test on animals. Our entire supply chain is cruelty-free. And... You know, I think it it humanized everything to actually go and talk with retailers mm-hmm. as a very passionate person, not as a representative of a company. So I think the other thing we were fortunate to bring to the table, and I'm saying we because I did these meetings in the beginning, the whole company in the beginning was just me. I mm-hmm. had this fabulous formulator, and then I brought on board some other people later, but in the very beginning... It was, it was just you. me. I don't want to take any credit because without all these people, I would just be a crazy person with an idea. 
eating so I toothpaste. Give, eating a lot of toothpaste, <laughs> which I still tend to eat a lot of toothpaste. Only fluoride free. Never, ever, ever okay. eat fluoride. But I think that retailers uh, believed because I would show this, I think, sort of unbridled enthusiasm mm -hmm. for the category, which most hadn't seen. And I was very fortunate to have had these other experiences. Yeah. So having had history with things like Method and EOS and I'd worked with so Target before. So you were a known quantity well, to a certain extent. I, I, don't, um, I don't want to sound ego-y or weird about it. I don't think I was a known quantity. Maybe I was. I don't know. I'd met people before, mm -hmm. and I think I just kept showing up. And so I think it was a combination of not that I was a known quantity, like, oh, this guy really knows mm -hmm. what he's doing. I think it's more like, that guy again? Like, he just keeps showing up. <laughs> like, what has he got now? And, and uh -huh. I think um, just constantly showing up with a smile and listening, I feel bad because I feel like now I'm doing a lot of talking, but the magic know, came from listening point. a lot. Yeah, I'd listen a lot. Mm -hmm. Because I felt like if you go see a retailer, no one knows more about these categories than retail partners because they live and breathe this stuff down to the square inch. And they're just as passionate as you are. It doesn't matter what the category is. I haven't met a buyer yet that isn't passionate. I have yet to meet a buyer that's like, whatever, I'll buy your stuff. Like, nope, mm -hmm. they're in it. And that's beautiful. They should be. It's the right stuff. So when you meet someone who's just as passionate, if not more so than you are, or I can certainly go toe-to-toe -to -toe mm -hmm. with you, you know, uh, on the passion front. They know so much. If you don't listen, like, shame on you. Right. So I think a lot of larger companies don't necessarily go in there with the mindset that they're going to listen because they have huge teams of people that just do insight research and just do fill-in-the-blank, like, all these right. things. So they're expert. And the truth of it is they certainly are. But buyers are expert, too. And they're in touch with the person who's the ultimate, you know, purchaser mm -hmm. of your product in a way that's really different. You know, research, if, you, if you're if you on focus groups, you know, people will tell you all sorts of things. But the moment of truth, to use a term yes. coined by a very large CPG company, comes when someone's willing to part with a dollar. Yep. So, you know. And if they're willing to part with it again. Exactly. So you don't learn, you know, you don't learn just by winging it. You learn by listening and trying things, but trying things under the guidance of some other really smart people. They may not even realize they're giving you guidance, mm -hmm. but if you're if you're if you're open, they're they're willing to share a lot, and you can well, learn because so they want much. the brands to succeed. Yeah, exactly. So I I I love retailers, and I love retail, and I've learned a lot just by listening and going to meetings, and not just going in and to to sell something, but going in and having a real discussion. Mm -hmm. Because that's how you build a real relationship and that's how you build real trust with somebody because you're not always going to get it right and you need to have a relationship mm -hmm. so that someone won't just kick you out. They'll say, all right, I believe you when you say you're going to fix something or you're going to try something different. Well, I think that's one of the things that a lot of startups don't realize when they decide they're going to play in this sort of food, drug and mass channel is that there are a lot of zeros behind commitments. Oh, boy. Yes. So when you get accepted somewhere – Usually that means something else is coming out. There's a finite bit of space. So that buyer has made a serious commitment if they say yes to your brand and your product. So your job then is not just to ship it. Your job is to help not just get it onto the shelf, but to help move it off yep. the shelf. And I think a lot of folks just get excited by the fact that they're talking to a retailer. It's a, it is an exciting thing. I totally get it and appreciate it. But your job at that point isn't just to sell. Your job is to create something that's going to 
make their department shine, make them and their team look brilliant. Like your job is to make them look smarter than. And also drive traffic uh, and brand awareness. Absolutely. And, you know, traffic is, is hard because most of these big retailers, they get footfall already. Yep. You know, the likelihood that your brand is really going to move the needle in all fairness is, is very tricky. But I think the most, I've, I've definitely said this before. So I'm going to say it again, because I think the truth never changes. Mm-hmm. The most important word, I think, in the retail lexicon is new. Yep. And I think how new is defined is really critical. And I think a lot of big brands, new is using the word new on something. I think for for truly new brands, they don't have to say much of anything because what they're doing is so unique. It's so obvious that it's new. And new in a way that's emotionally engaging, that's the key. If it's just new, if, if I said, oh, this is hello, and it now contains gravel, it's natural gravel, right? That's going to be new, but it's mm-hmm. going to suck. Like, it can't just be new for the sake of, oh, no one's thought of putting gravel in toothpaste before. Right. Like, yeah, that's a new idea. It's a horrible idea, but it's a new idea. It has to be new and beautiful and new and special and new and provocative in the best sense of provocative. And there are different levers sort of in food, drug, and mass. I think, you know, you need to know you need to know the rules of engagement in the channel. Oh, boy, do you ever. Um, when we launched, I was sort of like, no, we don't really need to know. We could do it totally differently. And the first products failed miserably. I was like, oh, we don't need a box because who needs a box? And it turns out, well, we needed we needed a, a vehicle that would allow us to tell more about the story of the product. And we had this primary pack that was so beautiful but so austere I remember they were like those great tubes yes yeah they were toddles and they were funky and they were beautiful and they were so efficient like we could get more product in them than like the biggest tube you've ever seen we could fit in this thing that looked really small Mm -hmm. which I thought was really funky because it looked beautiful and it was minimalist and who wouldn't want this beautiful sculpted thing but it turns out people couldn't even tell what it was because it was so different from the category. Like every norm, every convention, we basically just tossed that out the window. But then no one could tell what it was. They thought it was a hand lotion. Or we didn't realize that they were going to break the case packs apart in distribution centers and basically tote these things, like throw mm-hmm. individual pieces oh, into totes. God. And they were getting scuffed up. And by the time they made it to the shelf, they looked like crap. So we didn't realize any of that stuff. But had we not have launched... Well, we wouldn't have launched. So right. the good news is we we moved off of that so quickly. Mm-hmm. And that's the key. That's like the other thing about being a nimble, small company is that when you realize you're doing something wrong, I call it fuff, which stands for <laughs> fuck up fast. Like if you're going to fuff it up, like just make sure, boom, like you, you fix it. You fix it. And if you develop the right relationship with your buyer, again, every buyer is unique and every mm-hmm. retailer is different, but hopefully – They'll appreciate the the seriousness and the severity with which you will turn the switch and make things right mm-hmm. because that's the key. It's like you know, it's like your metal's getting tested, and it's easy when everything's great to you know just say woohoo, everything's great. But the way you really shine is when things are not so great. Mm-hmm. You got to come through. That's that's the tricky part. When did you know? Like, how long did it take before you knew you were like okay? This is going to work where not where you're sort of building on momentum. That's a great question. I mean, there's like there's always this inflection point. Yeah, I think to be really like I don't think there are degrees of honesty, mm-hmm. so I'll just be yes. honest. I still don't feel that way. I still feel 
I know you're laughing, well, but it's true. Well, I would true. argue with you I, considering you were no, just acquired by Colgate, I, what, what, but we can come back to what that. What I would say, it's funny. I was talking with Lori, who's my, I call her my partner and friendly, our CEO at Hello. Mm-hmm. And we were talking earlier today, actually, and which we talk every day, but just so happens mm-hmm. this morning, we were talking about our, our, our approaches to things because it just sort of came up today. And she said, you know, one thing about you, she's like, you're never done. Like you're always driving you with one speed, which is go, 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 go. Mm-hmm. And um, it's not that I'm unsatisfied. I'm very satisfied just by like waking up in the morning and mm-hmm. being alive and being married and having two awesome kids. Like I'm, I'm, I feel very much fulfilled. But I always think there's a better version of what we have made or a better version of how we can behave or a better version. Like, like, like we're going to say goodbye later today and I'm mm-hmm. going to be like, oh my God, I can't believe I said that. <laughs> I shouldn't have said this. Like there's always a better version. Mm-hmm. And yes, you might be able to edit a podcast, but it's really hard to edit your life. Right. At least in real time, right? You can't really go back so easily. So I'm always thinking ahead, like, what do we do? How do we make it better? How do we make it better? So that kind of drives me all the time. And I never felt like, oh yeah, we really made it. Like now that we've been acquired um, by this amazing company, and I'm sure you know we'll yes. talk about that a little bit. I just feel like it's the start. And people have said, oh my God, like congratulations. I'm like, no, no, we're just getting started. Like don't, I mean, that's great. We're yeah. very excited about the news. It's amazing. But this is just the start. We have so much cool stuff and I can't wait. I'm really fired up. And now, here's our Trend Minute, brought to you by big thinkers that aren't afraid to make predictions. I'm Ashley Edwards, and this is your Trend Minute. Let's talk about timing and sizing trends. So I am a brand strategist, and I am a trend forecaster. I like to call myself a zeitgeist chaser, but what that really means is that I'm a trend forecaster and I'm a futurist that also does brand building. The big question that I get from my clients lately is around timing and sizing trends. Everybody wants to know what the next trend will be, when it's coming, and how big it will be. And one of the things I like to say to them as a response is it's not about timing and sizing trends. It's about timing and sizing opportunities, right? It's less about knowing what the trend is and when it's going to hit, but what are you going to do about it? How are you going to commercialize the trend and bring it to the market in a way that the consumer that you're trying to target will love and will buy, right? And so what's been on my mind lately are sort of what are those new opportunities that are trend-led that are untapped? And some of the things that are on my mind are around natural male beauty, halal beauty, African beauty, um, beauty for consumers of African ancestry, not just in the U.S., but around the world. So consumers who have historically been marginalized or underrepresented or not marketed to. And I'm not just talking about from a foundation shade range perspective. I'm talking about from a brand, a beauty brand perspective. So those are just a few, but I think that there is enormous potential for untapped consumers, untapped markets, untapped geographies. And we are finding ourselves in a new brand renaissance. And there are so many more opportunities out there that have yet to be commercialized. And I'm really excited to see who's going to jump on that, who's going to jump on those opportunities, and you know who's going to emerge as the winner as we continue to progress uh, into 2020 and beyond. That's your Trend Minute. I'm Ashley Edwards. I'm a consultant with LPK in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I'll talk to you next time. 
This podcast is sponsored by Azoya Group, a digital commerce enabler that partners with global beauty brands and retailers to expand their business to China. Azoya has worked with top cosmetic companies such as Feel Unique and Pixie to expand on channels such as Tmall and WeChat and is responsible for everything from e-commerce operations to digital marketing, managed logistics, IT integration, and customer service. If you're interested in entering the China retail market, check out Azoya's website, azoyagroup.com. That's A-Z-O-Y-A-G-R-O-U-P.com. To talk about the acquisition, you know, I said that I had sort of been kind of obsessed with the oral care category. And, you know, it's one of those categories, it's kind of like ingestibles. Like there were early brands that tried to unlock it um, and make it sort of more of a beauty product and it didn't really work. But now all of a sudden there's this resonance where people are paying attention to oral care. And I do think it is a lot about you kind of upended things and and gave people kind of a different perspective. And then I think there's the whole D to C thing, which we can kind of come back to, but (laughs) Aside from the formulation, which, you know, I was just like, I can't even believe no one's talking about how toxic toothpaste is. The other thing was how inherently bad it is for the environment. The tubes, the plastic toothbrushes. It's national. It was National Geographic, which I'm obsessed with all over again. The amount of toothbrushes brushes that go into the environment Mm -hmm. and the tubes of toothpaste. But Colgate has really been kind of on the forefront of trying to change things. It's so we were very fortunate on many levels to to be able to partner with Colgate and be welcomed. And I'm really serious about this, welcomed into the Colgate family. It's such an amazing company. They're a very humble company. They do a lot of things that most people they don't even realize. Mm -hmm. I wish the company would kind of share some of this stuff. And maybe it's not my place to share it. I'll leave it to them. But they do some incredible things. And they've developed this tube. And not to take anything away from their recyclable tube, Mm -hmm. but our tube also is recyclable Mm -hmm. and always has been, which is pretty cool. And our new CBD line, the tubes are made with sugar cane. I did Which is pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah, so So again, their tubes are amazing. The reason their tubes are amazing, and we have the same technology in our tubes, is because of their scale. Yeah. So while we could say we have this recyclable tube, well, good luck trying to find municipalities that would recycle right. it. Because Colgate is as big as they are, they apply this technology. And 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 I even, you know, like their technology, mm-hmm. I'm sure, is even, you know, the next step beyond where ours is now in terms of recyclability. It's that they bring so much scale to the equation that because they're the biggest oral care company in the world. So to be able to take that scale and create a recyclable tube, now all of a sudden with so many tubes available with this type of material, that'll change municipalities' uh, ability to bring this kind of material into the stream. And also, I think I read that they're willing to open source the, Absolutely. the information, which yes. I think- which is amazing. Amazing. And I, you know, I think we're in a time where- you know, regardless of what side of the political spectrum you're on, government is failing us and they're not moving fast enough. So I think, you know, private companies, right, we can, public companies can do these things, you know, and we have to like, focus on being sort of good, sort of corporate citizens, 
yes. and and take things into our hands to move things forward. So I was I was like, that is amazing that Colgate is doing, sort of of that mindset. They're doing amazing things. And the idea that they're making it available to others is really it's it's amazing. Because I think, you know, as an industry, we're sort of like it's been steeped in sort of IP and secrets and, you know, I kind of feel like we're not there yet, but if we're going to crack this sort of sustainability thing, there has to be open sourcing of information and transparency. I, I think it's the way forward. Yeah. And I think people and, and the brands they choose to engage with are coming together and demanding that this happen because it seems so obvious. Yeah. Like, wait a minute. We're going to waste resources on what? Like, what What for? Why would we do that? What if we applied all this goodwill and all this technology to making things better? Right. Wouldn't that be great? And by the way, wouldn't we sell more stuff? That would be fantastic. Like, because, you know. They're people, not mutually exclusive. Right. You can do well by doing good yeah. and do good by doing well. And I think in a world where uh, you can share information, whether that information is about IP around your material science or information that you and I as end users of these things can share with other people and share our fondness for certain ways of behaving mm -hmm. versus others, that stuff is a natural contagion. It should spread uh, in a good way and create real change. So I can't tell you how excited I am that we're part of a company that really is walking the walk and talking the talk. It's so cool. It, I think I'm so excited to see what like you guys are going to do as a team because you know, it is, I mean, it's a commodity good at the end of the day. Everyone uses it. So if someone like Colgate can kind of even make the smallest change. It'll be dramatic it, just because yeah. of the scale. Yep. I mean, and that's the other thing. They're a global company. They're in over 200 countries. So, and in some of these countries to say they're the dominant player is an understatement. And to be able to take change and scale it that's really magical. Yeah. Like a lot of people talk about it, but they're in a unique position, I think. They to, can actually do it. Yeah, to actualize it and make it. The other, I think, really important part is to not just come up with an idea or a strategy or a material. It's to make it seamless for the folks on the other end. I'm, I'm staying away from using the word I mm -hmm. dislike, which is consumer. I know. You know, to make something uh, seamless and easy for someone else um, that's that's a really tricky, magical part, right? So, very thoughtful companies are very are getting smarter by the day about and by the minute about how to do that. I think one of the things that I really wanted to talk to you about because I think we're both sort of just branding geeks. I love brands. I love sort of the connection that you mm -hmm. can create with people and you know using design as a lever. But you know we we're I don't know if we're coming out of it or it's evolving, but we there seemed to be this period where the branding process got flattened. Mm. where, you know, D to C was kind of a shortcut to growth. And brands became sort of this sans serif sameness. <laughs> and I kept thinking, like, is this really a new way forward? Mm. And in my gut, I'm like, it can't possibly be. Because, you know, people, people still want to be attached to things. People still want to care. And so how can you just, like, slap a logo and a color on 
a package without thinking through sort of all the nuances of how it's going to live. Yeah. And I think we're seeing the results of that. You know, I still am a firm believer that all of the touch points and the elements of a brand matter. Yes, understatement. And, and I, I think that you... I think it's coming back full circle. I think so. I, I think, think so. Uh, there was a moment in time, not that long ago, where I kept hearing the same narrative. Because, you know, apart from Hello, uh, you know, I, I, I've been an investor in some things mm -hmm. before too and continue to look at all sorts of stuff. And I kept hearing the same narrative over and over and over, which typically came from... Uh, this is also, I don't mean this to sound bad, but I was hearing the same narrative from a group of people that all seemed like they went to one of five business schools mm -hmm. and had worked at one of five different companies. And I'd hear the same story, which typically was, you've been screwed by the man. We're going to disintermediate the man. We're going direct to you. And, you know, we've hired one of four design agencies mm -hmm. and, you know, and here it is. And we have this, you know, fun you know, uh, brand architecture that one of these and handful we're going to iterate products. We're not going to. We don't need to get it right in no, the beginning. No, we're it's all iterate. about disrupting. And <laughs> yeah. and I, you know, I've heard the word disruptive and disrupting and disruptor many times, and even many times about hello. And I have said no, no, no. We're not a disruptor. The only people that ever say we're disruptive are the people being disrupted. Mm -hmm. And no one ever says, honey, will you please bring me home some of that disruptive hello toothpaste? God, that charcoal. Ooh, it was so, you know what? They're so challengers. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, there are a bunch of challengers over there. No one says that. No one throws these terms around except the people typically that are being disrupted. And I like to say we're not in the disruption business. We're in the delight business. If we delight people, we end up being disruptive to the people who are not delighting people. So I looked at a lot of these brands that were like, we're going to disrupt. And I'd say, well, tell me about the disruption. Well, we're going to ship this thing and, you know, it's going to be direct. And I'm like, well, tell me about the thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. It doesn't it's matter. It's not about the thing <laughs> because screw retail. They're charging too much and everyone's charging too much. And we're going to go direct and we're going to keep all that margin. And I'm like, yeah, but shipping costs a lot. And tell me about the experience of, you know, there, there are plenty of websites to vote to unboxing, right? That's mm -hmm. been around for a long time. And Apple, you know, aficionados know all about unboxing. So they couldn't really tell me a lot about that. Or they would say, oh, we're going to have this really great box. Yeah, okay. And how much is shipping going to be? Well, don't worry. We're going to lose money on that. But we're going to spend money on advertising. It's all about acquisition. And then a big guy's going to have to buy us because we will have disrupted. And I used to just shake my head and say, you know what? I don't care how the thing gets to me. If it's carrier pigeon, an Uber driver, a Lyft driver, a bird scooter user, uh, you know, Postmates, go down the list, right? DoorDash, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter who it is, right? Instacart, you know, your grandmother who's not working, who's, you know, got a mobility device, who's going to mm -hmm. deliver the package, DHL, UPS, USPS, FedEx. I don't care about the delivery mechanism. Or even the delivery window, because that's a race to the bottom. I want to know what the thing is. What's the thing? And why is that thing special? And it seems like everyone was focused on this. We're going to cut out the middleman and we're going to ship it directly to you. But no one was telling me about the thing I was going to get. Like, why was it better? 
if it was just better because you were going to ship it to me and I could select it in my underwear at three o'clock in the morning off my browser of choice. And then send it back free of charge because it doesn't. Right. It's like that's not good enough. So I, I think the pendulum is swinging back the other way. You know, I really, I, it was one of those things where I was like, am I that out of touch with what is going on? Because I would sit in these, the same sort of meetings and I'm like, okay, so, well, no, 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 we're going to go direct to consumer. We don't, we're, we don't have right, the cost of We're building a retail. direct relationship with the consumer. And I'm like, and you think that's cheaper. How? It, it, and it just, you know. Someone I know for a long time pointed this thing out to me and sometimes you have to be hit upside you know like your cranium with something that seems really obvious um to get it and this is one of those times i was i was basically complaining about why someone would want you know to partner with us and take all this margin away and i really thought it was crazy it wasn't a retailer by the way Mm -hmm. and this guy said to me you know that company you're talking about they've been around for like 50 years and if they weren't adding value somewhere along the line they wouldn't exist and it really that was eight years ago and it still stuck with me. Like if you're not adding value, you don't have a reason to exist. So somewhere along the line, people are waking up and they're like, wait, people actually still do shop and people still want an experience out in the physical world. And people do want to have a myriad of selections that are visual, you know, in terms of their presentation at the same time. Like I love Amazon. Mm -hmm. I love online everything. I do. I'm, I'm right up there in terms of my usage and packages that come to my house. I, I love it. But I shop, and I'm the one who does shopping in our house because I have to see everything. Yes. It drives my wife totally <laughs> crazy. So she just knows, like, just I just do all the shopping. And, and I think people are, again, attracted to things that are truly new. And it's hard for them to find everything online that's new because everything's grabbing at your attention yeah. in a certain way. And at the store level, it's, it's, a, it's, a different, you know, it's a different experience. And there's this thing called merchandising. And that's very different than SEO. <laughs> well, I also think things. there's, you know, I think when you're when you're building brands and you you sort of think about all the touch points. To me, that's sort of like the foundation of the business. It's your north star. Mm-hmm. It's you know, it's what you stand for, and it's like the product comes from that. But also, you build your team around that. Um, the team is everything. But I'm I glad think, you brought up the team. Yeah, but I think you know the other thing about these D to C businesses where it was like the race to a billion dollar valuation and it's like you can't have figured out a category in your product and the the people who are it's going to connect in 18 months yeah i think um you know there are a lot of really i think elegant beautiful thoughtful brands in d2c i don't want to be a, a, a d2c basher or hater because I'm a user of a lot of yep. these brands, and I really admire the fact that they could build something so engaging in such a short amount of time. It's incredible. But I do think there were financial constraints and, fi- and financial demands that were placed on a lot of these brands to grow at a certain clip that didn't serve the brand well. And I, and I think that some of that noise, like we, the signal-to-noise yeah. ratio got out of whack. Yep. And I think... Um, I think it's coming back into a, like a, a, a range of frequency that's a little more palatable and, and normal. And, yeah. Uh, I mean, and I it was a wild ride. Yeah. And I don't think it's over yet, but no. I, but I think that, um, 
things will settle down a little yeah. bit. And I think that, again, like the financial tail was wagging the brand dog a little bit. There's nothing wrong with a lot of the brands that are now getting, I think, a little bit of a bashing. The brands are beautiful. Yep. The teams are great. The designs are really compelling, and they're only going to keep getting better. But I think that the uh, weight that was placed upon them by a lot of their financial partners was dictating some moves that might have been a little bit, you know, tricky. Yeah. I think we're seeing that now, but I don't think that's a bad reflection on the brand itself or the product offering. I think people were really like just under, again, this tremendous well, financial I, yeah, weight. I we think, were fortunate. We didn't have to. Well, I think that it's also, that. um, you know, I think it also creates this environment that's incredibly stressful for founders and that it, you know, it's sort of this trickle down, you know, and that was one of the things that, you know, when I would watch what you were building, I'm like, you know, he is kind of doing it the way he's built other brands. And there's this noise over here, but it's sort of like creating a brand that people can connect to that's fun. And then every member of your team is kind of the embodiment of the brand, which well, is amazing. We're really, we're again, we're really lucky. Uh, one is, you know, in the beginning, when it got started, I was the only investor. So there was only one investor, which was really scary. Then <laughs> I was lucky enough to get it to a place where it made sense and it was the right thing for the business mm -hmm. to bring on outside capital. And I was very fortunate to uh, have uh, some options there. And there was a group that I was, again, lucky enough to meet who had never sold a company. They were like, just build it, we believe, and we love it. And they stayed with me the whole way. And uh, they were the right financial partner because they believed in the vision and said, just keep, just keep going. Mm -hmm. And uh, we watched a lot of companies again, just say, well, well you know, we're going to go direct to consumer. We're going to have subscription models we're, you know, we don't care how much money we lose. And we were always, I'm a business person. Yeah. So I was always obsessed with margin and profitability. Otherwise it's not a business. Right. So again, very fortunate to have the right people. And another thing that was really cool I don't even know the best way to put this, but when you're an entrepreneur, when you're a founder of something, you have this unique opportunity that you don't get in other parts of your life. And what I mean by that is you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. That's just the reality. But when you're starting a business, it's like being able to choose your family. Mm -hmm. It's really, really special. I can't stress that enough. And at one point we started to grow and we had some people that were helping us identify candidates and they'd come in and I was like, no way. I was just shaking my head. I was like, no, like no way. Like you can't outsource soul. We're asking some third party, you know, to help us. And, you know, they know a little bit about us for sure, but it just wasn't feeling right. And we were getting people that were very, let's just use a nice word, very traditional. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't feeling the magic. And at one point I walked out, this sounds bad. I walked out, but I, I walked out of an interview mm -hmm. Not because I walked out, stormed out. I walked out because I asked the person in this interview to do something. And I said, you know, how about like a half hour? Is that enough time? You know, need to use a restroom or, you know, you want to make phone calls or check your email. And the thing I asked her to do was to write either a one word hashtag or one line of copy for a Instagram post. And I just gave her mm -hmm. a picture and I said, just tag this picture, write whatever you want. Just one line of copy, mm -hmm. just so I could see how you think. And it wasn't a crazy picture. It was just like a picture of like, you know, a bathroom with product on it. Mm -hmm. And I thought a half hour was plenty of time to write hashtag one word or mm -hmm. one sentence. 
And I walked out and someone said, what are you doing? Like, you're supposed to be in this interview. And I said, well, I just, you know, I just asked a person to do this little exercise, you know? And someone said, that's the most insulting thing. I would never do that. And I said, well, then I'd probably never hire you. Like, this, this shouldn't be that hard. And I had this epiphany after that. And the epiphany was, you know, we're not really asking the right questions. And this is a really, like, I, I'm going to share this story. It meant a lot to me and it still means a lot to me. So I love sharing, um, especially with other entrepreneurs. So this was like a really big thing for us. I think a turning point for Hello. Mm-hmm. Because we were growing, we needed people. And it's all about the team. Like, I'm here, I'm the founder, but no joke, like no shit. It's all about the team. So I had this flashback after walking out of the room with this person ask, asking her to just do mm-hmm. this one one line of copy. And the flashback took me to 1999, I think it was. This is also going to sound funny. Like, I, I walked out on this interview. I stopped a woman on the street, which sounds very inappropriate. Dog Hammerskull Plaza. I will never forget. It was 47th Street between 1st and 2nd Avenue. And I saw this woman from like across the plaza. This sounds like a romantic story, but I promise <laughs> it's not. I love my wife. I love you, honey, if you're listening. And But she knows that already. So anyway, I stopped this woman because I saw this thing on her shoulder. She had a strap, a bag. Mm-hmm. And on the strap that was on her shoulder, there was this little thing, this little icon. I don't know what it was, but I was like, what's that? And I went over and I introduced myself and saying, hi, I saw this little thing on your shoulder from across the way. I promise, like, I I just, I'm a normal guy. Like, mm-hmm. what is that? I got to know what that is. I'm a happily married mm-hmm. guy. You know, I'm not like hitting on you. And she said, I'm from Vancouver, very nervously. And mm-hmm. I said, I'm sure you are. What is that thing? <laughs> and she said, it's a store I go to. And I'm like, what's the store? And she said, I do yoga in the store. Ah. I said, I'm sure you do. What's the name of the store? And it was Lululemon. And they had one store in Vancouver. And I went back to my office. And I think I literally used askjeeves.com, really dating myself Mm -hmm. because Google didn't exist yet, to get the phone number for this one store. And I got this guy named Chip on the phone, who's the founder of Lululemon. They had one store. And I was in love. And I told him, I work, at the time, I worked for Simon Property Group, mm-hmm. which was the biggest, still is the biggest owner of retail real estate in the world. I said, I'm the SVP of venture development for Simon Property Group. I heard you have a store. I stopped this woman. I was in love with your brand from like 100 feet away. I mm-hmm. had to ask her what it was. Tell me about the stories. Tell me about the store. And I said, that's amazing. I don't know if you're looking for capital. If you're looking to expand, you'll want to open up more stores. He was like, oh, yes, 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 yes. He was a really cool guy. I said, great. Do you have anything you could send me? Oh, yeah, yeah, we'll send you something. So I thought I'd get the normal kind of stuff, a business plan, an executive Mm -hmm. summary, maybe an item of swag since I went on and on and on about the Mm -hmm. brand and how much I was just in love with the brand. And he sent me a questionnaire. Oh, amazing. And I still have it. It's on dot matrix printout paper with like the little nubbies on the edge. Like you'd have to bend those things and, you know, rip them off. This was like high effort to do that back then. Like laser printers were $100. Mm-hmm. Like this guy went and had a dot matrix printout, like Apple Image Writer 2 or Style Writer 2 kind of thing. Like this is old school. And I loved it. And the questions were things like Beatles or the Stones. Um, if you could invite anyone to dinner, who would you invite and what would you talk about? And I literally was like, I am all in. This is amazing. Anybody that could do this, I'm all in. Uh-huh. Long story short, we didn't invest. Lululemon <laughs> became Lululemon. It's a wonderful brand. What I took from that was we weren't really asking, in my mind, what were the right questions. So I made a questionnaire for people. 
And when you ask somebody, think of something that you love and draw it. That's mm -hmm. one of the questions I asked. You get amazing answers because there are people who are going to say, I can't draw worth a shit. Like there's no way I'm going to do it. And some people will feel that way and freeze. Some people, and by the way, we don't give them this in like in the room. Mm -hmm. We're like, go home, take your time. Like, you know, but you get people that get really creative because they can't hold a pencil and they come up with a lot of other amazing ways to express mm -hmm. themselves visually. But you get a sense of how daring somebody is. Are they willing to take a chance? Are they willing to put themselves out there? And you find out what they love. And my whole thing is we're a company you join. We don't employ people. It's about enjoyment, not employment, right? You have a job. You have a paycheck. Of course, we take care of everybody. We have amazing insurance. We have dogs in the office. We have amazing food in the office. Everything's great because we love our team. Like, I love our team. And um, I'll show you my laptop when we're done because you'll, you'll get mm -hmm. a kick out of my laptop cover. But it's all about the people. So when we created this way to let them express themselves and share what they're really like and what they love, of course we get to the you know, hardcore questions, right? Mm -hmm. If it's about supply chain, like tell me about supply chain. One person, just as an example, we interviewed a supply chain person and I said, think of something you love and draw it. And she drew a maze and she drew the most complex maze I'd ever seen, this hand-drawn amazing maze. And I'm like, Fuck, this is amazing. She's a logistics person. Her whole life is about moving things from like one place to another. It's a whole giant fucking puzzle. Yeah. And she loves puzzles. This is perfect. Like, cool. And she's perfect. And she's been with us ever mm -hmm. since. So it helped us find the right people because we were asking them about what they love. And when you can marry up what someone loves to what the needs of the actual business are, it's not work. It's you're doing what you love. And if you're doing mm -hmm. what you love, it never feels like work. And because it never feels like work and it's what you love, you get really good at it because you just keep wanting to do it because mm -hmm. it's what you love. So we're in the love business. Like people say, are you in the toothpaste business? I'm like, no, we're, we're, we're in the love business. Like we love design and we love mm -hmm. brand. And I keep saying I love people. When you love people and you let them do their best work, like my job is to magnetize the place so the coolest, smartest, best people can do their coolest, smartest, best work. And it just so happens that it's in service to bringing amazing products to people that they get to use or want to use mm -hmm. every day that also happen to have this wellness benefit. And when you put all that together and you're thoughtful about how you bring people in and how you let them flourish, it's a magical, unstoppable thing. And I think that's why we've had all this great momentum because mm -hmm. we let people rock. You know, it's not an easy thing to do. So congratulations. Thank you. It's been a wild ride and it's just getting, just started. getting started. I'm serious. Wait till you see what's coming. I can't wait, but I have one more question for you. So ready. All right. So if you could give one piece of advice to an entrepreneur that would sort of fundamentally change their business, what would it be? Wow. Well, without knowing what someone's particular business is, I would just say... Stay, this is, I mean, I think this is all potentially going to sound really trite, but please know, entrepreneur, or would-be <laughs> entrepreneur, if you're out there listening, these things sound trite because we've heard them over and over. You hear them over and over because they're true, mm -hmm. and they're true for a reason. So what I would say is get excited by the people that tell you it can't be done. Like Use that as fuel to get you fired up because this stuff really is hard, and you will face incredible obstacles. But all the people that told you no, they should energize you. And you should realize like there's some of the smartest people out there and they just told you they're not going to compete with you. So like let it rip. Like just go for it. You have If you don't start, you've already failed basically. Yeah. 
So stay passionate and stay optimistic. Oh, and the other thing I would tell people, yeah. sorry, is um, listen to as many people as you can and connect like crazy. I can't even tell you how many magical things have happened to me from uh, saying yes to LinkedIn invitations Absolutely. to attending every conference you can. I have, this is also pretty funny. I'm going to have to take a picture of this and figure out what to do with this picture. But I have a whole wall of just lanyards with attendance badges. <laughs> and literally it's, you know, I probably have like, I don't know how many hundreds, but I have hundreds. And go to everything you can. Talk to everyone who's even next to you. Because if they're at a conference, they're there for a reason. And that person could change your life. And don't be shy about getting in touch. And just remember, there are no bad questions, just bad answers. So just keep keep asking questions. And I also I always tell people, because I'm the luckiest person ever, I try to perpetuate the luck. So I always try to make myself available. So for real, there's a Skype button on my website. If I can ever be helpful, I love to be helpful. People can call me. I give up my cell phone all the time, which I'm happy You are one of the most generous people. Yeah. Well, I'm really sort of lucky. In the industry. Well, you're, really that's, are. well, thank you. I, I feel really, truly so lucky to have met so many amazing people. So if anyone wants to call me, they can. It's 917-392-1000. You can call me. Skype me from the website. That's easiest. It just, it goes to me. It doesn't go to anybody else. So I'm um, ping away. Uh, if you haven't tried our products, I hope you do because they're really lovely. And uh, we put a lot of thought into them. So I hope you enjoy them. And uh, and I don't know. What else, what else can I tell entrepreneurs? Uh, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't, don't give, give up. up. It's not hard. Um, it's, it's a slog, but it's not hard. It just takes a lot of time and you have to put up with a lot of people that won't get it, but just keep pushing your way through. Yep. I agree. Thank you, Craig. Thank you for having me. This has been awesome. Yeah. Thank you. For Craig and hello, it's a matter of thoughtfulness. If you ever run into Craig, you'll be treated with a big smile and the question, hey, do you need any toothpaste? Which he'll promptly pull out of a pocket or a bag. I believe people radiate energy and Craig is all good vibes. He immediately grabs you with his effusive personality and seals the deal with his visionary thinking and business chops. The embodiment of all this is the brand Hello. The product, the marketing, and the culture of the company is Craig Dubitsky through and through. When Craig launched Hello in 2012, I knew there was a reinvention about to happen in the oral care category. Fast forward to 2020, Colgate acquired the Hello brand, and Craig is now the chief innovation strategist at Colgate. He tackled an old market with a new brand that turned a commodity into something desirable and kicked off an evolution across oral care. Beyond the thoughtfulness that Craig applies to branding, marketing, and his business, it is the thoughtfulness with which he navigates the world and the generosity of time, knowledge, and spirit that I find most inspiring. Nice people really can win. So in the end, it's a matter of thoughtfulness. I'm Kelly Kovac. See you next time. To me, what matters is being thoughtful about everything. Design, brand, culture, how you treat other people. Because we're only here for so long, right? You're only, you're only around for a, a certain number of, I hope it's many, many decades. But if you're not being thoughtful, um, what's the point? 
right? So, so thoughtful to me permeates everything. Thoughtful is about how you treat other people. Thoughtful is about how you write copy. Thoughtful is about how you talk to partners. Thoughtful is about design choices and material choices and、uh, business decisions that you make. Thoughtful permeates everything to me. So, I think that's the most important quality. And people talk about character. Characters. Incredibly important, but if you're not thoughtful about how you behave, how are you going to have a good character? How are you going to create really good things in the world if you're not thoughtful about how you make them, how you share them, how you talk about them, how you produce them? So, thoughtful to me is a pretty all-encompassing word. It's a matter of is a production of Beauty Matter LLC. Copyright 2020. You can find more content and insights on beautymatter.com, and follow us on social media at Beauty Matter Official. This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect.